we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. And there's nothing for me to say, Jeff. Take it away. Good afternoon. I'm Jeff Smelser, next in Pennsylvania. Thank you, Drew. Chase Byers in Fishers, Indiana. Hello, Chase. Hello. And Joe Works in Elmira, New York. Jeff, you know, sometimes people say this man is so famous, he needs no introduction. I think that's what Drew was trying to say about you. <laughs> No, I don't think that's what he was trying to say. <laughs> but nonetheless, I was not trying to say that. But you brought well, up a good point. <laughs> um, there was an article this past, uh, I don't know, week ago or so that caught my eye that I want to use to introduce the topic today. Uh, this is an example of some of the nutty things people will end up believing. And the article was uh, a CNN article online about a. a it introduced it with a, a woman whose son uh, ended up dying, but he'd got involved in some some crazy cult-like ideas. The particular idea was that John Kennedy Jr. is alive and is secretly working with Donald Trump, uh, and both of them are descendants of Jesus, and they're working together to save the world and restore the Kennedy family to prominence. Uh, part of it even was that some of the people involved in it believed that John and um, I can't think of who, who's John Kennedy's wife. It was the John Kennedy president. What was her name? Jacqueline. Jacqueline. Yeah. John and Jackie were still alive and were going to show up uh, along with J JFK Jr. At, at the Grassy Knoll in Dallas on a certain date. And so uh, people... People went to, people from various parts of the country went to the Grassy Knoll to await for these people to show up. And they, of course, never did. So some of the people that went, according to the article, actually stuck around for weeks, months, hoping that these people would show up. The line that caught my eye in the article was this. The Kennedys is describing this, this belief. The Kennedys and Trump were direct descendants of Jesus Christ and were the heroic protagonists in an age-old battle of good versus evil. That caught my eye because there are all kinds of wacky things that people believe. QAnon, um, this particular theory, you guys can probably name several, where people will believe these things because they are intensely motivated um, by a belief that something is bad or something is good and they need something that embodies their idea of good, their idea of bad. And they want to believe in this thing that embodies it. And you end up with all kinds of conspiracy theories, um, myths, anything pop into your head at this point, guys, anything along those lines? Oh, well, I just, for me, what year did Kennedy die? 63. All right. Mm -hmm. So we're coming. So we just, yeah, so this is kind of a big milestone of when he died. So there, yeah. that's probably why it kind of came up. Mm -hmm. And so they're connecting it to Trump, who's no longer president, but was a few years ago. Okay, I'm just yeah. making sure I get the details in my head. <laughs> and the details really probably aren't important. It's the wackiness of them, but people's willingness to believe such things because they are passionate about someone or something being good, someone, something being evil. And then I started thinking... Well, historically, if you go back to ancient times, you think of idolatry. Uh, if you think of some of the ancient Greeks talking about the gods that they believed in, we today, if we study ancient Greek gods, we say you're studying what? You're studying mythology. 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 
it, it's just that's what it obviously is. And yet you'll find Greek writers who will be associating belief in these gods with goodness and morality. And amongst the Romans, there were people who uh, criticized and even persecuted Christians, calling Christians atheists because Christians didn't worship these gods that the Romans believed in that we recognize were just myths. And so, so how is it people then came to believe in some of this stuff that objectively are just myths. It's just mythology. It's fabrications of the human imagination. And, and I think to some degree, it's people need something to embody their concept of good and or evil. And so the question that, that we want to talk about today, we, we'll talk about a little bit about various conspiracy theories maybe, but the question we want to talk about, well, is the Bible just another example of that? Is the Bible just another example of something that people have created to, to satisfy this need to have some embodiment of their concept of good, to have some embodiment, the devil, of evil? The devil is the, is the reason that bad things happen. Is that all the Bible is? So that's the way we'll introduce the, the so, webcast today. So what about um, thinking of this as maybe as ecclesiastical writer has stated, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, I'm thinking about Acts, the 17th chapter. Yeah, and, uh, that's where I am. Recognizing, you know, Paul in Athens and uh, all of these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, verse 18 of Acts 17, um, uh, you know, they just would want dis to discuss all sort of philosophies and religions. And they had, you know, the, the city filled with idols that sort of covered uh, uh, everything quite literally to the point of, to the unknown God, just in, in case they miss something. Well, you know, they're, they don't want to disrespect that God. And Paul takes advantage of that and says, well, there is a God that you don't know and uh, begins to preach Jesus and him resurrected. But in that, so you, you, you have that idea of people just, they're, they're searching. And, and I think what, what brought me from your comments to this text is um, uh, verse 27 so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. You know, people are looking for something to fill the void in their lives. And, uh, you know, if they're going to reject the Bible, then they're going to look for something else. Yep. But your question is greater than that is, is the Bible just like all of those other things? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but I think we see some parallels to this text. All right. So maybe, yeah, go ahead, Chase. Well, tied to that, how far was Athens from Corinth? 50 miles, roughly. All right. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I mean, they were surrounded by a lot of the similar people. Paul will write that the word of the cross is foolishness. Those who are perishing is the power of God of those who are being saved. Verse 21, for since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. Uh, the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Uh, I think similar statements are just so relevant to our age as well. I mean, the Bible is filled with these truths that is just foolishness to people. And so you hear people say things like you just said. So that's interesting that you, you turn to that passage and the idea that to the secular world, the, the gospel was foolishness, because that highlights a difference um, between what we read in the Bible and all sorts of myths that I want to comment on. We do have a, a, a viewer here with an observation. Let me get this real quickly. Do you have that, Chase? I've got it. Uh, so one of our viewers, Jane, says the Bible isn't a myth. It's a video camera of events past 
and to come. That's kind of interesting. The Bible does paint a very visual picture of um, of things, and it, it's it's history, it's future. It's an interesting comment. But going back to your comment, Chase, the idea of the the people of the world, the secular people who did believe in various myths, regarding the 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 gospel is foolishness. One of the characteristics of people who believe in, in mythology, certainly in ancient times, and, and I'll, I'll posit the question, is it true in modern times also? One of the characteristics is there's nothing exclusive about their myth. In other words, somebody believes in this myth, they're happy to accept another myth and another fabricated thing also. So, for example, in ancient times, um, the various pagan gods that they had, they were always adding to their pagan gods because they would conquer some country that had a different pagan god, and they'd assimilate that into theirs. There was nothing exclusive about it, but there's, there's a two-way exclusivity regarding the gospel. They would not tolerate the gospel, and the gospel does not tolerate them. And, and I think back to Isaiah chapter 44. So this is in ancient mm -hmm. times. This is 700 years before Jesus. So this is 20, 2,800 years ago. And, and at this time, there was a lot of idolatry, what we would call myths. People believed in crazy things. Here is the Bible mocking those things. Um, and, and I'll read a little bit, and maybe one of you will pick it up. I'm going to start in verse 9. Isaiah 44, those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile, and their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a god or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions will be put to shame. For the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Just the very idea that you could have a god that was made by the subject of the god, you know? This says, let them all assemble themselves. Let them stand up, let them tremble, let them together be put to shame. The man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals, fashioning it with hammers and working it with his strong arm. He also gets hungry and his strength fails and he drinks no water and becomes weary. So the picture is of a man crafting a god, but the man who crafts the god is himself frail. Mm-hmm. So it's just bizarre. You, one of you guys want to pick it up in a little bit more in this text, moving on down, whatever you want to pick out of this section here? Go ahead, Joe. Well, I, I'm just thinking about the, the whole imagery that you have um, uh, in verse uh, 15. Um, uh, I don't know. You want me to, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, then it shall be for a man to burn, uh, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it, bakes bread, Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it he makes it a carved image, falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire, and with half he eats meat. He roasts the roast and is satisfied, even warms himself and says, I am warm. I have seen I'm warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it, and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. Do you hear the sarcasm there? Oh yeah, this is like it, it's it's pathetic, but yeah, it it is just completely mocking this concept, you know, because you you can't help but imagine well, what if he 
burned the wrong half of the tree. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, he's burning his idol and he's <laughs> worshiping his firewood. Um, uh, yeah. You know, that's just, that's, that's how ridiculous this is. And the thing is, the point is, here's the Bible mocking this stuff. And yet at this time, the people, people who believed in these various gods were happy to accept one God after another. And so they were, they had a very, any, uh, except all comers kind of a philosophy, whereas the Bible, very different. It's saying, no, that's foolishness. Uh, and then we get to your passage in First Corinthians 2, of course, Chase, and then you see the people who are willing to accept anything won't accept the Bible. There's something different about the, God's word in the Bible as opposed to, to these myths. So that was what I had in mind there. What do you... So we've seen this throughout history, right? Where people will try to tie some kind of current event to the Bible itself. Yeah. Um, so, all right, probably we probably even did a couple episodes on it, if I'm not mistaken. But back when the coronavirus had just started, I mean, that was going all over the place. That the government's going to put a chip in us, and that that's the mark of the beast. And I know good brethren who honestly they they listened to that and they were really worried about it. Um, I think uh, I think around the time Trump was getting elected, there was this theory out there that Gog and Magog that's talked about in Ezekiel, that that was Trump and Putin. Um, so, you know, the examples, I'm sure we could ask people, you don't have to, don't comment in, but you, we could, we'd have people comment in, name some of these you've heard. Where, where do you guys think that comes from a place of? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good thing to note because what you're talking about is really where people end up with basically mythical ideas, but they have incorporated elements or language from the Bible into the things that they're creating from their imagination. And they're they're really not studying the Bible, but because it's in the Bible, and, corroborates and it. they think that they've got something now that's not just a myth, even though all they've done is just grab some ideas out of the Bible and attach it to something that they're passionate about. Dispensational premillennialists are a lot like that. Uh, the thing that we started with, the idea was that Trump and Kennedy are are descendants of Jesus Christ. That was part of the myth. And so in some people's mind, that that gives some kind of legitimacy to this to this embodiment of good or evil that they have. Yeah, so isn't there a lot of pressure from leaderships, whether that is, you know, dictators or pharaohs or Caesars? or maybe modern more modern day media or politicians or influencers or whatever the the case might be they're promoting these things and then their followers you know because they are enamored with these people they just kind of accept what is being spoken kind of the jim jones cult sort yep. of idea yep. um uh, and uh, you know we whether maybe through pressure, like I'm thinking about Nebuchadnezzar saying, bow down to this idol or else you're going to be thrown into the fire and furnace. Cult um, of personality. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe something you can help me with that probably ties to this. So Paul tells Timothy in first Timothy one, uh, he says, I left you in Ephesus. Um, so you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine. But verse four, or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, yeah. which operates by faith. And then I think you, you see another hint of Gnosticism yeah. in chapter six. But 
kind of help me understand it sounds like the first century christians they were kind of facing a similar thing with gnosticism yeah yeah as far as the genealogies are concerned um you get into the second century descriptions of gnosticism that we have and, and people some people think that well that's irrelevant but gnosticism hung around for a while and so in the second century we have writings come down to us to describe it this gnostic these gnostic ideas and there was a lot of fascination with the genealogies of various spiritual beings that they imagined. Some people are familiar with the term, the fullness, the pleroma, that was a term used in Colossians that had to do with Gnostic ideas about a whole, uh, a whole array of supernatural beings, 30 aeons uh, in, the, in the spiritual realms. And they were very fascinated with what spiritual being begat what spiritual being and what spiritual being was a sexual partner with what other spiritual being and and the lineages and all of that so yeah i think that's what paul is alluding here to frankly I, that's what i believe this is about but to your point then that's a good example of just wild speculations that people liked to pursue instead of simply the purity and simplicity of the gospel yeah and if, if you listen to Paul's words, if you're someone who finds yourself on Facebook or Instagram or wherever you get your media, really bowing down to those things and really getting into them. Look at what Paul says about this stuff or stuff like this. In verse four, these promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now, the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. You know, ignore those things, Paul says. Stay away from them. F focus on what produces this kind of sincere faith is his advice. Mm -hmm. And he's telling Timothy, you don't get wrapped up in this. You right. preach on these things. Um, but I think that that's a helpful verse for me if, to, to come back to if you're wrapped up in that stuff. So, okay. what? Let's talk a little bit. At this point, let's start focusing on... Why can we believe, as a rational person, why can I believe the Bible is the Word of God? Why can I say the Bible is different? I talked about one difference uh, a moment ago, but that's not the place I would start, the idea that the Bible is exclusive. I think that's significant. But why is it I can say the Bible is not like these myths? It's different. And I'll check. We've got a comment from a viewer here. Um, somebody says uh, it's going to... Found a little crazy, some somebody says, but the Bible teaches Jesus loves the sinner but hates the sin. Does Jesus love Satan, or was it before the fall only? <laughs> so I okay, I've heard that before, I think. But this actually is is related in a way. Um why why do we get curious about the, Jesus loving Satan? It may just be a, an intellectual, you know, puzzle. Well, God loves everybody. He, does he love Satan? But I think there's a little bit more of a fascination that attaches to speculations about Satan. Don't don't you sometimes get the impression people just want to this is the secret that we don't know. What was the devil like before creation? Demonology, the demon stuff is the same way. Yeah, I want to stay as far away from Satan and demon stuff as I can. Yeah, that that's that's a good policy. Um, you know. Um, the, the, I'm going to just go with this. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, make of that what you will, but that's what the scripture says. 
Um, so anything else you want to add to that? I, I would just say that there does come a point where maybe we're, maybe people are going to use the word hate in different ways. And so we have to define our terms and make sure we're talking about the same sort of thing. But there are passages that talk about how, um, uh, you know, God does hate the, uh, the individuals yeah. who have become an abomination right. like the thing that they love. Right. So part of the problem with a question like this is we've got a, a statement that is somebody's take on the Bible. Right. It's not a quotation from the Bible. So we start with that statement. Jesus loves the sinner, but hates the sin. And then we start speculating from that. We start reasoning and trying to reconcile other things with that. Always start with the word of God. Amen. Itself. All right, so why why is it that we suppose that that the Bible is different than other things that are just people's own imaginations? Well, what what about again going back to Acts seventeen and maybe I'm just a uh, a one horse one horse guy in this conversation, but the deception ride that horse <laughs> <laughs> the, the, that 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 that's an illustration, Chase. We'll explain it to you later, um, but. Uh, uh, I, I'm sorry. I was just thinking you might need two horses. <laughs> okay. 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 Let's go to Acts so, 17, Joe. <laughs> so, yeah. The, uh, the difference is the resurrection, right? Uh, you know, that yeah. was where they listened to Paul up until that point. Um, uh, and uh, verse 32 of Acts 17. Well, we go, go back to verse uh, 31. Because he's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he's ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. And so they were really fascinated about this new philosophy, this new teaching, this new idea. But the resurrection was just beyond the pale for them. Do you think, yeah. as, you, as you point that out, do you think about this just for a moment? This just occurs to me as you say that they could believe in all these gods that could not be objectively verified. Um, that you is it was just subjective, you could believe in it or not. But once you start talking about Jesus was raised from the dead, all of a sudden now we're talking about something that's real, something that people there were witnesses and that's of a different category. And maybe there is a willingness on the part of the human mind to become fascinated with and enchanted by something that cannot be objectively evaluated or measured, because as long as it can't be, you can believe whatever you want to about it. But as soon as you have something that is substantive, that is concrete, that is real, that can be objectively challenged or investigated, that ruins it. That ruins the fantasy aspect of it. Do you suppose there's something to that? I think there's a lot to that because a living God who has, like you said, the witnesses of the resurrection, the evidences that, that pour forth and so forth, and he's not going to just tell you what that uh, lump of wood or stone is going to tell you. You know, the, the idols, right. the idols tell you what you want to hear. That's right. You know, they, they reveal to me my own passions and desires, but the God of the Bible is, is quite distinct. I, I'm even thinking about, and, and 
hopefully this is not too far off track, um, but when Jehoshaphat and Ahab formed that alliance and Micaiah in First uh, Kings 22 goes and prophesies, you know, and, and everybody's prophecies are going to, to be in agreement, um, uh, right? Um, yep. but, but then when Micaiah comes in, you know, he speaks and Ahab clearly understands that he is uh, uh, being facetious in his prophecy. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the prophets, the false prophets were saying, oh, you know, uh, Ahab and uh, Jehoshaphat are going to be victorious. They're going to gore the uh, Syrians, verse 11, 1 Kings 22 and so forth. You know, nothing but good things, positive things. Yep. Um, and yet when we study the Bible and we read about what <clears throat> Yahweh has to say, it's not always things that we necessarily want to do in and of ourselves. Um, we have to conform. We have to say, not my will. Um, we have to submit. And that's not what you have with idolatry. No, malleable myths. They're malleable to whatever I want. I like verse 13. Kind of, you, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think you read it. Nope. The messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. Of course, those were the false prophets who were telling him what he wanted to hear. And I don't know anybody who creates a myth and in their myth system that they believe in, they they hear a message that's not what they want to hear. Right. Yeah. yeah not at all. Um, and, and so I, I think that those two things are, are do go hand in hand. The, the resurrected Jesus, and so we must listen to him. He's speaking to us through his word. And uh, his word is a contrast to what we read about in other uh, religions. Maybe one of the most distinct, you know, I think about some of the religions of the world will, and, and certainly not all of them, but at least for some of them, they would, you're, you're willing to kill for your beliefs. Yeah. And in Christianity, we're willing to die for them. Yeah. So oh, go ahead. Chief. Me, well, let me, I, I was going to pivot just a little bit. Let me say three things or put in order three things. So you've got Daniel, who with his statue, it prophesies kind of the, the kingdoms that are going to come, right? Mm -hmm. You've got Jesus in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, where he predicts the destruction of Jerusalem, and that takes place in AD 70. Mm -hmm. So both of those deal very directly with politics. And then, Joe, you took us through the book of Revelation uh, several months ago now, but you went went through and were able to identify the different emperors that were going to come and uh, matches up perfect with history. So that's three pretty broad times throughout history that the Bible has predicted something that's taken place in world politics. Why doesn't the Bible do that today? You want to go for it or you want me to? You go ahead and start, and then I'll just correct you where I need to. That's what I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> so the Bible is not a book that's just designed to lay out the history of events in the, in the world like uh, an American history book or a world history book. The Bible is a picture of God creating everything, it being good, and then man's sin, and then what is God going to do to fix the problem of sin? As it 
as you go from Genesis through the end of the Old Testament through um, Malachi, uh, you do see a lot of history, but it's not just, okay, here's some history about this nation, and oh, by the way, over in this part of the world, this is what's happening. No, it's a very focused telling of events. It's talking about how God takes a particular man and develops a particular nation from that man's descendants, the nation of Israel, and the God, how, how God uses that nation to lay the foundation for the Christ to come into the world, to, to instill in humankind's understanding some concepts like God's holiness and how sin separates from God and the idea of a priest necessary to be an intercessor and the idea of sacrifice for sin. And it talks about God's holiness and how he hates sin. And part of that deals with how God dealt with sinful nations and how God dealt with Israel when they would be sinful. And so, yes, there's some history there. They obeyed God and, and history went well for them. They disobeyed God and things didn't go so well. It's not a telling of history for the sake of telling history. It's and, a it's a telling of the God's dealing with Israel to, to explain the scheme of redemption. So and, we should not expect that the Bible is just going to tell about Ukraine being invaded by Russia, for example. Yeah. So I think we sometimes we come to the Bible with an attitude kind of like Nicolas Cage in National Treasure, that we're, we're seeking for something hidden that is going to uncover some kind of treasure that's here that no one else knows about. Yeah, exactly. So what was National Treasure 2 about, Chase? <laughs> Gold, I think. <laughs> All right. So along, right. Those, along those lines, as we think through the different times in which God did uh, reveal the future, there seems to be very specific purposes in that. Um, uh, I'm thinking about Joseph's rise to power, which then allowed for the preservation of Jacob's family um, and brought them out of Canaan so that they would not become um, idolaters uh, because by bringing them into Egypt, they were separated even from the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. And so God used Joseph and those dreams to accomplish something very specific. Or in Daniel, the other one of the other illustrations that you gave, that was for a specific purpose of, of helping Nebuchadnezzar uh, to understand who God was and that allowed then for, I think, the preservation of uh, the Israelites in captivity and, and gave them hope there, along with Jeremiah's words and, uh, by seeing that. Same thing with Revelation. Very specific mm -hmm. circumstances for the persecution, the, the, the horrible persecution from Nero and Domitian um, uh, during that first century. So there's very specific purposes for that. It's not just going to the carnival and, you know, going into the fortune teller's tent sort of thing so to, so to speak to you know just to for for fun or or whatever um, god is accomplishing things with these uh, words let, okay let me make an observation here um sometimes um we can think we are studying the bible and following the revealed word of god um and we certainly would oppose idolatry, and we would oppose man-made religions and so on. And yet, when you look at people who, on, on face, at face value, you say, well, all these people believe in the Bible, you see a lot of different doctrines. So even though the Bible is different than mythology, it is possible, I'll put it this way, it's possible for a person to pervert the truth of the gospel in such a way that he ends up with a man-made religion 
and yet he's still quoting Bible all the time and not just superficially. I mean, he is really into the word and yet he's ended up with a, uh, a man-made religion. I say all that by way of introducing a comment from a viewer. So a viewer says, um, is, he starts out, he says very nice things about us. You know what? I'm going to read the nice things he said about us. That's kind of nice to do. Thank you. It? Please do. He says, love you guys. You have helped me out a lot on my walk with Christ. I've been born again for three years. Praise God. All right. Then he has, he has a suggestion for us to talk about something. He says, maybe okay. comment that's, on. That's, I think that's Drew. Oh, is that Drew? Oh, yeah. oh, oh, okay. That's Drew's. Okay. All right. All right. So we don't have to, we don't have to do what Drew says, right? <laughs> All right. So he, he does I, control the terminate button. Oh, oh, oops. All right. I'll be nice. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thanks for that comment from the viewer. Then the, the other comment that came in after it was not his, it was from our, uh, from Drew, uh, which we might get to or not, but anyway. Okay. Um, so my setup was for naught. Oh, well, no, you're still welcome to talk about that phrasing. I just didn't want you to attribute something to this man that Drew wrote. Oh, okay. All right. All right. That's good. Well, let's, let's talk about that. So, the the let's talk about the idea of, of born again real quickly for a minute here because this is one of the things that a lot of people who are believers who they believe in the god of the bible believe that jesus is the son of god believe that he was raised from the dead um and and believe the bible is the word of god and we need to study it and follow it but there are a lot of people who are in in that category and yet they have have bought into an understanding of what born again means uh, that is really man's own imagination. And so maybe we talk a few minutes about that. Yeah. So when I hear born again, my mind immediately goes to John 3. Mine too. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, uh, who is a ruler of the Pharisees. He's come to him and talking to him by night. Yeah. And Jesus says to him, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can someone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So this an innocent reading of that. And that's how if, I, if you heard me say, oh, this person was born again, I, I would mean water baptism by that. Someone yeah, who, who was he, born, he said born, born of water and spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And and. In in the context, of course, you're seeing a lot of focus on baptism. In chapter 1, John is baptizing. Here in chapter 3, uh, John is baptizing in Eden near to Salem because there's much water there. You get to chapter 4, and Jesus is making baptizing more disciples than John. And it's in that context that Jesus tells Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And, of course, he's not talking about going back into your mother's womb and coming out again. He's talking about being born of water and the Spirit. But Chase... Is there anything in this passage that would address the idea that apparently maybe somebody has that all you have to do is just go get dunked in water? It just takes, in fact, you just drag somebody in and dunk them in water and they'll be saved. Is that what this passage is saying? Well, no, there's a lot more that, that comes before we're baptized. Is there anything in this passage that would say there's more than just getting dunked in water? Yeah, I mean, a little bit later, down in verse 16. Uh, God so loved the world in this way, he gave his only, uh, one and only son for everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So you had so to believe a part of it. I, I, anything in, in verse five itself that might say there's something more than just getting dunked in water. 
Oh, you want Born of the Spirit? I did. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I was like, where's he going? <laughs> I just set this up. Here, let me just serve it to you on a silver platter. <laughs> and so if, if I remember correctly, and there may be more than this, but um, this idea of being born again is used two other times by Peter. And the first time, what, one of them in First Peter 1 and one in First Peter 2. Yeah. Um, and so one of them is being born by the resurrection of Jesus, and the other is being born by the living word. Uh, I, I'm not open to that passage, but uh, I am. Go, good, good. So verse 23 of 1 Peter 1, having been, this is begotten again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God. <clears throat> and so, yeah, so we, you know, it, it's more than just, um, some people will take that being born of the spirit even, and say, well, so it's mystical, and uh, you know, God is guiding me according to a uh, like a uh, a hidden message inside of me, or something like that. Well, what he's just said, of course, is he's talked about the spirit of Christ that was in the prophets of old in First Peter chapter one, verses ten through twelve. In the second letter, in Second Peter, he talks about um, the scripture. Uh, that was spoken by men who were moved by the Holy Spirit. So when we read the words of Scripture, we are reading words that have been communicated to uh, humanity by God's Spirit, by the Spirit of God. I can hear those words, or I can be born again of those words. I can take those words into my heart. I can be convicted by the Spirit seeing the sinful situation that I'm in and separated from God, the scriptures reveal that to me, can be motivated to submit my will to God. And in being motivated, submitting my will to God, I can obediently be baptized into Christ's death, which of course is the actual thing that takes away my sin because it's the punishment of my sin. And so in doing that, then I've not just gotten dunked in water. I've been born of water and the spirit. I think that's the idea. So, very much yeah all right so anyway it, it, uh, the idea of being born again just to kind of loop back tie this back to what we really should talk about we're talking about various mythological ideas and conspiracy theories and crazy things that people will believe in and, and then said well is the bible just another example of these and we said well there's, there's a lot of difference in in the bible and these other myths but but we've kind of taken time out to acknowledge you can even take the bible and you can end up believing things that are just from man's own ideas, not what the Bible itself says. But let's go back to this fundamental question. What is there that would support the idea that the Bible is something we can believe in rationally? What is there something? What? What? There are a lot of things, guys. That each of you will have the things that are most compelling, convicting to you. But what is it that you would point out is the reason a, a rational man thinking rationally can come to the conclusion the Bible really is from the God who made everything in contrast to these various conspiracy theories and myths that people have chosen to believe in. Yeah, my answer would go back to something you were describing earlier is a, the Bible's consistent story across millennium. I mean, but across a couple thousand years, I mean, yeah. there's, a consistent story, a consistent line, and there's no other. There's no other book in the in history of mankind that to has your, done that. To your point, if you think about some of the ancient myths about the god 
the goddess Artemis, for example. One story has Artemis and her her brother Apollo uh, being born near the ancient city of Ephesus. Another one has them being born, I think, over on the island of of Syracuse. Of um, Syracuse is that the name of the island or the city? Anyway, off the tip of the toe of Italy. Uh, there's another one that has them being born somewhere in the western side of the Aegean Sea. Those myths, if you go back and look at the myths about Zeus or about whatever, they're all different variations on them. It's kind of like the different Batman movies. You know, it, the, there's some common threads in them, but it's kind of like, okay, this time we're going to tell the story and we're going we're gonna to bring these ideas into it that are different than the ones in the other one. The Bible tells a story that is a is a has a beginning and an end, and you go throughout the whole Bible, and it is inexorably moving toward the culmination of the salvation that's in Jesus Christ and spread the gospel throughout the world. Very different. And and so I would uh, certainly a- amen all of that. Uh, my answer would probably focus more from the original or our earlier comments about the resurrection as one distinction. But then the fact that the men in the first century, both according to scripture and secular writings, were willing to die for something that they believed in, that they could have escaped punishment if they would simply renounce. If it were a lie, that's just hard to fathom. Now, it's not unheard of. Right. But but I would suggest that, that all of those things put together um, are, are pretty pretty powerful uh, motives for, for believing the scriptures. Have you noticed in the Bible, this will sound like it's off the wall, has nothing to do with anything. Have you noticed in the Bible how people traveled, how they got around, how people were familiar with places and people from other places? Mm-hmm. It's really impressive the degree to which throughout the Roman world people got around, they traveled. So with that in mind, and Joe, your point about the resurrection, some... 20 years after Jesus was raised from the dead, Paul writes 1 Corinthians, and he is reminding the Corinthians about the fact of Jesus' resurrection and the appearances, those people to whom Jesus appeared after he was raised from the dead. And in verse 6, he says, uh, he appeared to above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until now, but some are fallen asleep. Why did Paul add that phrase, most of them remain until now. In other words, most of the people to whom Jesus appeared are still alive at the time he writes 1 Corinthians. Why did he say that? It, it can be proven or disproven. Uh, that That's strong evidence. Uh, 250 eyewitnesses is pretty overwhelming. Yeah, and, and so he's writing this to Corinth, and somebody says, well, yeah, but where were those witnesses? They could have been down in Jerusalem or wherever. People got around. In right. fact, Aquila and Priscilla who were the people that first hosted Paul in Corinth when he first went there. They'd started out in Pontus, which was in uh, northeastern part of the Anatolia Peninsula. They'd gone from there to Rome, which is over in Italy. They'd traveled from Rome to Corinth. They went from Corinth to Ephesus. And then from Ephesus, they went back to Rome eventually, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. And that's just an example. People got around, and so people... So Paul could write to these people in Corinth and say, there's there's most of 500 people who saw Jesus alive after he'd been crucified. And and you can check it out. And geography was not a deterrent to that. And and so imagine writing a book today to go back to that beginning article, writing where where 
36 years, uh, 30, 30, yeah, 36 years removed from uh, JFK's assassination. Uh, imagine writing a book saying that JFK is is alive and, and doing well and he's hanging out with Elvis and uh, Marilyn Monroe or whatever, Tupac. you know, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, trying to trying to publish a serious article about that. Yeah. Um, and then having it massively accepted. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's no way. I mean, you know, people read this CNN article that you referred to and they're like, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, there's going to be some people that are going to do that. But there's I mean, there's there are some people that are just very gullible. But it's not going to have massive acceptance like First no. Corinthians, and the book of First Corinthians is accepted by this by the critics. Two thousand years from now, there are not going to be people on the other side of the world assembling and worshiping together, JFK and Donald Trump. Right. But here we are, two thousand years after the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity has spread throughout the world to phenomenal impact. Um, I got a comment here from a viewer or from, I'm not sure if it's from a viewer or from Drew. We're going to have to have Drew start and, you know, initialing his comments. So we know, I think he says my comment at the beginning. Oh, is that, does that mean Drew's comment? I think so. Okay. But it's a good observation. A couple of times God said, come reason with me. Isaiah one would be one of them or make your case to prove you're right. And Isaiah 44 would be one of those where he challenges the idols. And that is Drew's uh, take on it is use our intellect to know what's real. It, it, there's a reasoning here that God challenges us to. I, I like the passage when Jesus says, though you believe not me, believe the works that I do. Yeah. Look at the evidence and, and the works that he did, the miracles that he did were evidence of who he was. Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do the signs that you do except God be with him. Guys, we're out of time. Thank you very much, and uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll be back next week. So we hope that you'll be with us next week at 3 p.m. Thank you for tuning in to the Bible Quest podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion and found it beneficial. If you have any questions or comments about what was discussed today, or if you have a particular topic that you'd like the panelists to talk about, you can go to BibleQuest.tv at any time and click on the Contact Us button in the upper right corner. Again, that's BibleQuest.tv. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.